Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Nicola Everett. Hello and thanks ever so much for downloading today's podcast. It's Thursday, December the 10th, just 15 days until Christmas and 21 days until the end of the Brexit transition period. We'll have more on that in just a moment. But first up today, the Kent Online podcast has been hearing how the tourism sector in Kent plans to recover in 2021 after being closed for most of this year during the pandemic. Now, in 2019, the sector in the county was worth a staggering 4.1% billion pounds. And we welcomed 66.5 million visitors. It really is a huge industry in the county, but it's been hit incredibly hard with attractions, hotels and places to eat and drink having to shut for many months on end. You might have noticed that, of course, if you tried to go out at all this year. Now, it's feared it could take up to five years for those sorts of visitor numbers to return. We've been chatting to Deirdre Wells, who's the chief exec of Visit Kent. The biggest thing we can do really is to boost consumer confidence. So we we did a, a campaign in the summer, which you 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 may have seen, called um, uh, the Secret Garden of England, which was again all around trying to encourage people to enjoy Kent and enjoy those wide open spaces. Um, encouraging that consumer confidence and supporting it will be really key, and that's not just in terms of. Um, highlighting the huge work that our businesses have done in in order to make themselves COVID secure, but also reinforcing that message around those uh, wide open spaces in Kent, but also the the opportunities to be able to uh, work with over 350 businesses that have been through the the COVID secure kite mark and and, and growing that all the time to to get that out there. But I think the, the really key thing will be um, as much as we can to drive footfall back. So um, both through that consumer messaging, but also through some more overt marketing that we'll be able to do next year. It's very difficult to do that at a time when uh, we're in the middle of a pandemic. You know, we've got to tread a very careful line between the public health message and that overt marketing. But thank goodness for the vaccine, we'll be able to do that next year. And I think be much more aggressive with our consumer to get them to to come and and, and support um, the destination, particularly um, in that that sweet spot between um, between now and when outbound travel is is back because we want to capitalise on people to do that staycation while they can. Staying with coronavirus and eight areas of Kent are now in the top 20 for the highest infection rates in England. Swale is top with more than 600 cases per 100,000 people. Then Medway, Thanet, Gravesham, Maidstone and Dover are also among the worst places in the country. 32 COVID-related deaths were recorded across Kent in the latest round of daily figures. The whole of Kent remains in Tier 3 restrictions, as you probably know by now. Those tiers are going to be reviewed by the government next week. Now, to move into Tier 2, which means that places like pubs and restaurants can open again, it's likely we'd need to see a significant reduction in cases across the whole of the county. Mass testing has started in Medway this week and will also get underway in Swale next week. Professor Martin Michaelis from the University of Kent has been telling us why it's so important important. The problem what we are seeing at the moment is numbers going up and we don't know really why and this is because we don't know who is infected and who is spreading the disease COVID-19. Um, and many of these people 
may not even have any symptoms or they may have symptoms, but they don't realize that that means they actually have COVID-19. They may just confuse that with something else. So knowing who's infected enable us to target these people, to isolate these people, to find out who they have been in contact with and isolate these people too. And this is very important because that enables us to break the transmission chains. In an ideal world, everybody would be tested every day. Yeah, even if the test is not 100% correct, that would give us in no time a picture of who is infected. And everybody who knows they are infected can then self-isolate, their contacts can self-isolate, and that would be an effective way to bring the whole issue under control. So if we had such a reporting system and everybody who is positive, who is infected with SARS-CoV-2, the coronavirus that causes COVID-19, um, would know this and could take action. And that would be, a, would be the best way to bring this whole pandemic under control. And basically this is in a slightly different way, but this is what very successful countries have done like Taiwan. Taiwan, 23.5 million residents, seven deaths so far. How do they achieve that? They just kept the numbers very low so that even without the massive testing capacities that are needed to test everyone or large parts of the society, they were able to identify local outbreaks, um, identify the people who are infected and could isolate them and their contacts and could uh, stop transmission very early. We've also heard today about more jobs at risk as a result of the impact of the pandemic. 66 could go after one of Canterbury's oldest building firms went bust. Administrators have been called in by contractor Coombs almost 50 years after it was founded. A spokesman says their financial problems have been made worse by the coronavirus crisis. Kent Online News. As promised, on to Brexit now, and the government has relaxed the rules on the number of hours lorry drivers can go without a break in an effort to ease congestion at Dover and Folkestone in the run-up to the end of the transition period. Those who are transporting food and other essential goods, such as medical supplies, will be able to be on the road for longer until the end of the month. Unions, however, say the move is dangerous and increases the risk of crashes. Meantime, the European Commission president has set out contingency plans for if there's no post-Brexit trade deal. Ursula von der Leyen says there's significant uncertainty about whether an agreement will be in place on January the 1st. She's laid out four policies to ensure aviation safety, air and road travel and access to fishing waters. Foreign Secretary Dominic Raab says the UK will adapt, however the negotiations end. I think we uh, behave reasonably and flexibly and pragmatically throughout and if the EU reciprocate, there's still a deal to be done. If it doesn't, we'll take stock, we'll do that on Sunday, and we'll be prepared to leave on Australia-style terms and make a success of Brexit. Of course, you'll know by now there are real concerns about disruption on the roads in Kent early in the new year after the end of that transition period. We've seen lots of lorries queuing up on the M20 and A20 in recent days. And to coincide with that, Tesco today has admitted it is stockpiling long-life goods in case there's supply 
supply disruption at the end of the Brexit transition period. The supermarkets chairman hasn't ruled out the chance of temporary shortages in some fresh foods from January, but says it should only be for a limited time. John Allen says they're trying to avoid relying on Dover amid warnings of long freight delays. Some other top stories for you now. And a bin man who was crushed to death by his lorry at a Kent school has been hailed a hero for trying to prevent an even more dangerous accident. An inquest has heard 61-year-old Andy Betts from Tunbridge was trying to stop the vehicle from rolling away when he was crushed at Benenden School near Cranbrook. A full inquest is due to be held next April. A Medway drug dealer who stamped his cocaine packages with the Batman logo is being forced to give up £42,000, which was found when he was arrested. Officers seized the cash and half a million pounds worth of drugs after arresting Jamie Cass. The 33-year-old from Woodlands Road in Gillingham was jailed for six years last May. A Medway woman who became an award-winning author after writing about her experience of living with M.E. is due to publish a second book. Jessica Taylor-Behrman, who grew up in Rochester, spent four years in hospital after being diagnosed when she was just 15. She wrote A Girl Behind Dark Glasses to raise awareness of the condition that some people have said in the past isn't real. Well, now the 29-year-old hopes her second book will dispel even more myths. I've now been ill since 2006, so like 14 years. So it kind of felt like a girl in, a girl behind dark glasses told part of that story. It told the time that I was in hospital because I literally didn't leave hospital for four years. I was in different ones, but literally never came home. Um, and so really, I think what's interesting is a, a girl behind dark glasses is about being institutionalized and about having to sort of learn to live in a hospital setting. But then I suppose I started asking questions, well, what happens when you come out of that hospital setting, that institutionalization, and then you get put back into a community that you're not used to anymore, that you can't, you don't know, you know, how that life is going to work out. Um, And I think for me, it was, it was a real moment. It was, it was a strange time because I had left as a 15 year old, you know, and I had left school, I'd left everything. But when I came back into sort of my life, you know, what was normal for me, you know, my sister who had been 10 when I had gone was now studying for her GCSEs, you know, and it's, it was, it was really mind boggling because she wasn't a baby anymore. She wasn't a child, you know, she was literally much, um, she was doing, she was further on in her education than I ever actually got. So, and then all my friends, they were going to university and I was still stuck in one room, you know? And, and I think like the main thing is that when people come back from hospital, when they're discharged from hospital, the, the idea is that, you know, you're better. That's why you're in hospital is to get better. And then you come home. But, you know, with my journey, I was not better. Um, I just, you know, there was only so much they could do in that hospital setting. Um, so actually to come out and not have that, oh, I'm fully better and everything, you know, that I think is quite interesting for people to um, sort of understand that that is the reality of a chronic illness. Um, it doesn't just go away. And what was it like for you adjusting to life outside a hospital again? Obviously, you mentioned you missed out on a lot of your sort of late teenage years and your friends were all going off to university. How did you cope with all that? It was really hard because I think one of the things you have to sort of 
remembers so I didn't get to do proms, I didn't get to do 18th birthdays, nothing like that. And so I just arrived back and I kind of felt like an alien in, in a setting that wasn't, you know, what I was used to. I think one of the frustrations is, you know, when I did come back, I was still really poorly and I spent those years you know that the book the um a girl in one room it cover it covers from you know when i came home right up until 2017 when i um you know got married and i suppose that journey in a sense was you know i did everything in the wrong order you know so i didn't do anything as as you know we were used to sort of thinking that you would go off to you do your school then you'd go to university and you would find someone have a have a get married have a child that kind of thing it just didn't happen it wasn't even a process you know you couldn't even think past that um it was really hard but i think one of the difficulties is as well is that understanding that it literally was one room i didn't leave it at all for how i really i, I let me work out it was like over five maybe six years i literally did not leave the setting of one room. The only time I was moved was to go back into hospital because I had become acutely unwell and needed treatment. So, you know, I think like at this point where everyone's done lockdown and everything and had that sort of understanding of how it is to sort of be shut inside, the um, the reality is that actually for a lot of people, this is this is their normal, this is their life. A Girl in One Room is due to be published in February. This has got loads of you talking today. A Canterbury woman has been fined after one wheel of her car was left slightly on a kerb when she parked in Canterbury. Catherine Kaplan received a £35 fixed penalty notice for obstructing the pavement on Hanover Place. She says it was an accident as she was parking in the dark. The council say they have now cancelled the fine after an appeal. But were they right to issue it in the first place? Well, it's a close result in our vote so far at kentonline.co.uk. 41% of you say yes, the car was obstructing the pavement. 59% say no, the driver had obviously just made a mistake. You can still have your say by clicking on the story. New figures show rail passenger journeys on southeastern trains increased by almost 10 million when the first coronavirus lockdown ended. Numbers dropped from 42 million to just 3 million when travel restrictions were in place between April and June. That went up to about 13 million between July and September, but still less than a third of normal levels. Now, we're being warned there could be disruption on the trains in Kent over the Christmas period. Planned engineering works at Lewisham, Newcross and Slade Green could affect services through places like Dartford and Raynham. Bosses say they're doing all they can to minimise the impact during the five days when restrictions are being relaxed so people can visit friends and family. The shell of an historic building in Medway could be used as a drive-in cinema and market space in the new year. Developers have been given permission to transform the Grade 2 listed Machine Shop 8 near the Chatham Dockside outlet into a new activity centre with a climbing wall. But the project hasn't been started yet and now they want to turn it into something that can be used during the pandemic.
A neighbourhood in Rochester has transformed into a living advent calendar. People on Bishop Square have created 25 window displays and are revealing one every day in the run-up to Christmas. You can see some of the pictures at kentonline.co.uk. And while you're there, you can also see images of how Kent has changed over the past 11 years. You can find transformations of some of the county's iconic landmarks and attractions, including Margate's Turner Contemporary and Canterbury's Marlowe Theatre. It's all been captured through the street view feature on google maps well that's it for today thanks ever so much for listening but don't forget you can subscribe to the im news app to get access to all of km group's newspapers head to subsaver.co.uk news you can trust this is the kent online podcast